0: mean it to be weird or bad news or any of that, but did you get your real ID yet? Yeah, for the driver's license? Yeah. All right, so like uh, maybe a third of us? Yeah. Maybe more? Half? Yeah. Right, so there's this funny weird thing happening with this whole re- real ID situation, right? That that it, it, it was mandated years and years ago, I, I think like a post-9-11 thing, yeah. and it was they gave us plenty of time literally like post 9 11 thing that this was mandated and the states started saying but we've got this and we've got that and it's hard and we've got to do this and that and 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 then it was on track right that, that everybody's supposed to have it by a certain time and then COVID hit, and so the dates for for when you have to have your real id if you have no idea what i'm talking about don't ignore the rest of what i say today but but real id is is about bringing our IDs up to a certain standard uh, and the real ID will be required to fly uh, post some date in the future. And I say some date in the future because that date has moved time and time and time again. Hence why I don't have my real ID. Yeah, Don't zoom in on that, right, by the way. Uh, so I do have a passport. If I needed to fly, I could fly. That's not a problem. But I say that to say this whole thing about real ID is, it, it It seems important. It's government related. It's, it's sort of important to us. We know, yeah, I got to do that. But the urgency for it, not so much. Especially as we've seen it get delayed and delayed and delayed. We're like, well, do I, I mean, why don't I just wait until whatever my expiration date is thankfully I'm not expired yet, right? I have a few more years to go. I can just wait till my expiration date and then I can get one. And then I will go stand in line at DMV for, you know, and COVID brought one good thing. You made an appointment with DMV, you walked in, you boom, you walked out. Now we're back to, hi, I'm number 189. Uh, that's a good deal. Which one did you go to? The Eugene one. The Eugene one? Wow. I did the same at Springfield. Yeah, I usually go to the one in Springfield because it's faster than the one in Eugene. But hey. Yeah, exactly. By the mall. Those right? Are better than Springfield. right? We could do this all day long, right? I mean... <laughs> so here's the funny, funny thing about that for me is that to most of us, it's on the list. And tell me this isn't a long list in your life. Stuff I know I need to do. I'll get to it someday. It might be important. But come on, like duck football was on yesterday. It's not yeah. urgent at all. Right. Amen. The funny thing about that is that a lot of very serious things in our lives end up in that same group. In that same category like really dealing with who we are on the inside, hence the name Real ID, right? I'm not titling this new series, which, by the way, we're beginning today. I'm not titling it Real ID so that I can remind you for weeks on end to go down to the DMV office. If anything, that's the last thing I really want to talk about on Sunday mornings. I'm titling it that because I want you to know what your real identity is and i want you to know who your real identity is based on see last spring if if you weren't around and totally okay i'll catch you up today last spring we were in the book of colossians in the new testament we made it through colossians 1 colossians 2 we spent most of the spring talking about mistaken identities ways we get jesus wrong and when i get jesus wrong i get me wrong and when i get me wrong i get life wrong And so we spent a lot of time talking about who the real Jesus really is, and a lot of time talking about what real grace looks like and what real Christianity is all about. And Today, I want to pick that back up. Except instead of focusing on our mistaken identities, I want to spend the next months focused on who we are in Christ. And they titled today's message, The Way Out of an Identity Crisis. You ever been through that? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you know what that feels like. I'm told that that's coming for me. I have a birthday this year that's one of those, like, uh, decade ones, you know. And uh, clearly I'm not turning 70. So whatever I am turning, it's not old. Uh, Are you 70? Yeah, not old. Not old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fighting words, right? <laughs> Not old at all. Not old at all. I've got friends that are 80, 90. Nobody's over 100 in the room, are you? Yeah. So the thing is, we go through certain stages of life, and it's natural to struggle with who we really are. It, 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 it happened a lot when we were in our preteen slash teen years. I think of an identity crisis a lot like seventh grade. Because seventh grade, sixth grade, whenever you began junior high or middle school, depending on when that transition was, was an awkward time in your life. And you were worried about what everybody else thought. And you were worried about how you sort of appeared and there were there were those kids and those kids and the the cool kids or whatever and you just felt like you weren't sure you fit anywhere this is what an identity crisis feels like when we struggle with self-esteem when we question our worth or our value when we feel lost or aimless when we're not quite sure of our sense of of uh, what really matters to us, or our sense of purpose, when we have this constant feeling of of being sort of emotionally scattered, and increased feelings of anxiety, insecurity, even depression. That's that's the definition of what an identity crisis feels like. As I said, for me, that that was middle school. So, how do you define who you are? What are the most important things that you understand about yourself? Let me begin here. You are who Jesus says you are. That's who you are. You are who your maker says you are. That's who you are. And when I begin to wrestle with those insecure feelings on the inside, And to be fair, Jesus came to do more than to change our insecurities. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But if you ever struggle with your worth in this world, all you've got to do is look into the eyes of Jesus. Again, we're beginning this new series today. Uh, It's really a, a continuation series in the book of Colossians. When we misunderstand who Jesus is, we misunderstand everything else in life including who we are so read with me if you have your bible colossians chapter 3 verse 1 we must have done really well here uh, last year because i noticed that my my bible is coming apart literally right here at colossians 2 colossians 3. like i've got pages literally coming out so so this must be really good stuff and really important stuff so read this with me colossians chapter 3 verse 1 Says, since then you have been raised with Christ. And, and I'm to pause there because that phrase is a reach back, you just don't remember it, to the middle of Colossians 2. And so I'm gonna spend today reaching back to Colossians 1 and Colossians 2, sort of catching us up. But he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, and that is to say, when Christ was resurrected, spiritually, in Christ, you are resurrected and you anticipate a resurrection physically to come in the future because Christ has been raised. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he continues on and tells us to put to death some of the old nature, right? Things that belong to our earthly nature, sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greeds. And he goes on to say that we should also get rid of things such as anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying and and selfish practices. And I'm going to pick it up again. He talks about our new life in Christ. And in our new life, he says in verse 11, here there is no Gentile nor Jew no circumcised, nor uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, nor free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. If you ever want to know who you are, the answer is right there. You are God's chosen, you are holy, you are dearly loved. You said, but I don't feel very holy. That's because we're not on our own. I mean, I don't feel very loved, but God says I am in Christ. I don't feel very holy, but God says I am in Christ. I don't feel very chosen. God says I am in Christ. So next week, I'm going to pick up Colossians 3.1 and talk about what these verses mean and we're just going to march our way forward in the coming months but today I want to look back just a little bit as we look back just a little bit I want to remember that the church in Colossae was doing what you and I naturally do we take what what uh, we take our system of beliefs we take our our way of thinking we take our way of looking at the world and we meet Christ somewhere along the way and by the way have you met Christ yet I hope so I really hope so if you haven't today you can right here today but you meet Christ somewhere along the way and what you begin to do is you begin to take your life and what you think you have figured out and you try to incorporate Christ in it in a way that blends it all together does this sound familiar right you became a christian and and there were things christ said and you're like okay that that sounds good i'm going to try to put that in my life and i'm going to keep living my life but but i'm going to try to incorporate that into my life and the more we try to blend the more we kind of end up messing things up because we're taking our old life and we're blending in our new life and the blend sort of doesn't work out and so whether it's cultural influences or political influences or educational influences or things of philosophy or maybe even family influences we try to blend these things together and, and, and truthfully what I'm talking about here if you study this at, 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 the, at the deeper levels is that this is about how our identity is formed Because these influences influence our way of thinking from our family of origin, from our education, from our politics, from our social circle, from our social media, from the media we consume. All of this thinking, when we try to blend it together, we end up sometimes having to decide, well, which one am I really going to believe? Let me just give you an example of how this plays out. I can open up. Uh, today on my phone, a variety of kinds of media. Can't you? Right. For instance, I I can open uh, a news app. Doesn't matter which one, but I can tell you that there's a governor doing this, or a lawmaker doing that, or the FBI is doing something specific, or you know, there's debates. Have you heard there's debates about COVID? Right. I I can I can. Open a media app and and see that right away i i can let 's try this one. What do people think about that i I can open facebook I can open instagram uh, i don't go on it very often, but I can open twitter or x i don't know what it, i can 't keep up with this stuff, and I can get opinions galore and what happens along the way is this opinion. At some point, the opinion of this thing doesn't exactly match up with the opinion, and I'm not going to call this a thing. This is God's word. The two things don't, don't match up. And, and, and what we try to do is, is, is we try to... Yeah, can, we, can we just slide them in together nice and neat and pretty, and we want our politics to do that. I'm telling you, if Jesus never makes you uncomfortable politically, you're, not, you're, you're keeping Jesus out of, out of a significant part of your life. I'm not speaking to one side or the other on that. I'm just saying Jesus made the political people of his day on all sides pretty uncomfortable. Read the Gospels again. Maybe it's not politics, maybe it's family. If I can just if I can, you know, like I have my Jesus stuff, but if I can just blend it, like like my family doesn't really believe in it, if I can just slide these two together, maybe, maybe instead of blending this one in here, maybe, maybe is there a way I could blend this one in here and and just just kind of just kind of keep it quiet? The reality is we're always in this place of trying to blend things together that at some point won't blend. Or at least when they blend, it changes what we're blending. And quite honestly, what Colossians tells us is that Jesus won't blend. Like you put Jesus in your blender and try to blend him up, your blender is going to die. I don't mean that like Jesus is evil. I just mean like like if I throw rocks, stones, huge ones in my blender, is my blender going to work? No, no. Jesus refuses to be blended. So when we were studying Colossians uh, back in the spring, we said there were sort of four primary questions that were addressed in the book of Colossians. One: Who is Jesus really? Who is the true Jesus? Two. What is true Christianity? What does that really look like? Three, what does true spiritual maturity really look like? And four, how does the Christian church change the culture around us and change our lives? And so in sort of summary, I, I just, I've already said this, but, but I want to say this to you is the one thing, and I think it's the first set of blanks today. If you're filling these in, you can fill in these blanks with me. When I get Jesus wrong... I get my identity wrong. Now let me show you how this plays out, because it's really there's a slide that happens in our lives. It's not just a straight slide from Jesus to identity. Did you guys, when you were a kid, did you enjoy the slide? Right, especially on a day where it was like 110 and it was a silver slide, and you were wearing uh, short shorts. Right, so so don't <laughs> picture me in short shorts. You don't need to do that. But but you know, kid, and you're on the slide, and it's 110, and that man, that thing burns. But But the coolest slides were not just like, I mean, when I was real little, then there was the short slide, and the short slide was cool. But you got older, and there were better slides, weren't there? Right? There was the enclosed slide. There was the stuff at McDonald's. Remember when McDonald's had playgrounds? Right? And there there was like the hamburger guy you could go in, and I, you know. But you'd go to the park, and there would be the circular slide, right? The spiral. Right? And sometimes that was enclosed, and you get yourself stuck in the middle and be like, ha, 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 I'm not coming out until some kid bowled into you. <laughs> right? There was the slide. We had this slide that in at a park in Oklahoma City where I grew up that was like a rocket ship. And this rocket ship had multiple slides that came out of it. And the tallest slide was so high, it couldn't just... You know, it would have been like a water slide at a water park if you went on it. It was so high, so they had to do this thing. Yeah. Right? Right? Those are the cool slides. That's kind of the way this slide works. When I get my my sense of Jesus wrong, I get my identity wrong, but there's some pauses in between. Let me show you where those are. One, when I get Jesus wrong, I get religion wrong straight up. And when I get religion wrong, I get Christianity wrong. And when I get Christianity wrong, I get my identity wrong. And when I get my identity wrong, I get my life wrong. Right? And so there's these points along the way where it's very easy to get hung up and get pieces of the equation wrong. And Colossians is saying that the people who were Christians in Colossae, they were doing that. And the reason they were doing that is because they were trying to take their life and they're teaching about Jesus and blend things that wouldn't blend. Consequently, when I get Jesus right, I get my identity right. To be more specific, when I get Jesus right, I get religion right. When I get religion right, I get Christianity right. I get Christianity right, I get my identity right. I get my identity right, I get faith right. I get Jesus right, I get life right. So what's the way out of an identity crisis? Well, let's, let's start with religion. And I just want to give you the straight up, like most common assumption about religion. One, in America, we'll say this. <clears throat> they're all the same. And I'm not judging somebody else's. But I am saying... When they say conflictual things, it's hard to say they're all the same. Like, we have to take them at face value. And then we do this. Okay, well, at the end of the day, this is kind of the American understanding of Christianity. I just need my good enough to be a little bit better than my bad enough. Like there's this, some grand cosmic scale, and, 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 and maybe for you know, real serious Christians, we tend to think, I just need Jesus to tip the scales a little bit to make my good enough better than my bad enough. This doesn't say anything like that. And Jesus didn't say anything like that. But modern American Christianity, or churchianity, or religianity often revolves around, I just, this goes back to my real idea and that, that category back there where I go, well, sort of important but not urgent. Because it's real, real easy in life to go, well, I'll come back to that someday. I'll, I'll get the good enoughs in when I've got time. I'll be good enough at some point. Or maybe someone preaches the true gospel to us, which is you'll never be good enough. Jesus died for your sins because you'll never be good enough. He rose from the dead on the third day. He's alive. He wants to live in your life, and he wants to be your God. And we hear that, and we go, that sounds actually like a pretty amazing offer. Like, I don't pay anything. He paid it all. But I get to receive... The best part like that sounds like a really like genuinely that sounds like a good deal and I will do that some day I'll just me and my real ID back there we'll get to it at some point but right now I gotta live my life I'm I'm 20-something years old. I'm not. Steve, you're not, right? Yeah. But I still got life to live, but I got things to do. I got places to go. I got people to see. I got sins I want to commit. Come on. I mean, in all seriousness, If you were to poll Americans on the most significant reason that they don't want to come to Christ, it's because Christ makes demands about our sex practices that we don't like. And so we put it off so that we can do what we want. And then someday we'll think, am I being too straight? That is straight up when you read serious polls of people on why they're not ready to make commitments to Jesus, it sometimes is about I don't believe he's real. And it's sometimes about, well, he might be real, but I, I just don't know if you can really know all of it. But for a whole lot of people, it's, yeah, I think he's real. Yeah, I think he died for my sins. I'm just not ready to give up my sins. So the way out of an identity crisis is certainly not be good enough. Because it has this same old problem sort of inherent in it. That my good is not as good as I think it is. And my bad is actually a whole lot worse than I understand and I know. And if that's how it works, that my good has to be better than my bad, then we're all toast. And so Jesus comes along with a different message. Jesus says, your sin is worse than you pretend. The Bible says that Jesus is greater than I will ever understand. And the Bible tells us, Jesus flat out tells us, that his grace is better than I can ever imagine. That I can receive him and all that grace and all he's done, but receiving him is a, it's not a back there kind of decision. It's not a someday Kind of thing, because frankly, you don't know about someday. As hard as this is to talk about, you and I don't know about five breaths from now. So what is the real way out of an identity crisis? Let me give you two quotes, and then I'm just going to walk back through the gospel again, make this really clear. Quote number one is not in your notes. It's from... Charles Spurgeon. If you have no idea who that is, totally fine. He's a famed preacher from about two centuries ago. century and a half ago. 1800s. One of the... (laughs) Called the prince of preachers in his day. And he said this. The most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. The most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Because it turns out we forget, even us who live the gospel, even those of us who say, I'm in, like Jesus, the cross, grace, all of that. I can't be good enough. Jesus died for my sins. I don't want to live for my sins, but I can't seem to get out of them on my own. I want to lay down my life for him. Like I, 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 Jesus, take me. I don't deserve you, but take me. Even those of us who say all of that, forget the gospel in sort of our dailyness of life. And we begin to hold ourselves up to standards again, and we begin to strive to be perfect again, and we get caught up in perfectionism just like everybody else. It's very easy for Christian people to end up judgmental, comparative. There's all kinds of things you see play out in Christians' lives that don't really go with the essence of the gospel. And at the level of our identity, this is very, very common, where we just believe the gospel but forget it in our day-to-day life and forget it in our day-to-day relationships with one another the second quote i'll give you is from a far more modern preacher but he recently went home to be with the lord perhaps you know of tim keller right pastored in new york city uh, considered one of the greatest thinker pastors of sort of our day tim keller this quote is so big i i put it in your notes word for words it's so long there's no way you're gonna you're gonna write it down as fast as i say it. I, that doesn't mean i expect you to write down everything i say I just thought this quote was so good, you shouldn't have to go write it down. So I gave it to you. And rarely do I give you another preacher's quote in the notes. Maybe I should do that more often. I don't know. Tim Keller said, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Had to. And yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. And this leads to deep humility And this leads to deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering, like, look at me and how great I am, and sniveling. Oh, poor me. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. What a great description of Christianity and what the gospel really says. So how do we find our way out of an identity crisis? We do that by reminding ourselves daily of what the gospel says. By doing what Spurgeon was saying and what Keller is saying. To think of ourselves less by preaching the gospel to ourselves. I think one of the reasons we don't preach the gospel to other people is because the gospel is so far out of our minds. We're not only not thinking about it in relation to others on a random Tuesday or Thursday, we're not thinking of it in relation to ourselves. Let me give you three truths that clarify this, and I've actually already said all three of them. I just want to make it clear. (laughs) Number one, the gospel says that my sin is worse than I pretend. There is no good outweighs the bad, right? It's it's more like uh, Halloween, frankly, (laughs) that I'm pretending to be something I'm not. And it's not me pretending to be bad. It's me pretending to be good, right? I, I can go to the Halloween store, and there's masks galore, and most of those masks galores are about pretending to be bad. And there's a couple of little kid ones about pretending to be good, you know, you know, the innocent ones, right? And we, <laughs> we're more monsters than we know, than we admit to ourselves, and we put on these masks to pretend to be innocent, when frankly, we're not. This is what was going on with Jesus. You might remember in the Sermon on the Mount, He had this phrase where He would say uh, something along the lines of, You have heard it said, but I say to you. He said, You heard it said long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who commits murder is subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Or You heard that it was said long ago, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone looks at a woman lustfully in his heart. And and Jesus just went sin by sin saying, you think it's this, but it's deeper than that. And in that same text, he said two things really interesting. He said, I tell you that unless your righteousness, and your righteousness is that goodness you're supposed to produce in your life, that that goodness that you try to make everybody else think that you are, all that pretending, frankly, that you're doing, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, be clear here in their day, the people of God and the non-people of God and all the people in that day uh, looked at those groups and thought, like, you can't be better than those people. Those were also political uh, parties and positions to a degree, which changes how you read this. But he said, unless you're better than them, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they all went, but I can't be better than them. And the funny thing about today is that politicians like to pretend they're better than us. And we all go, we know you're not better than us. Is that not true? Jesus didn't end that sermon here, but he said this at the end of that chapter. He said, after all that, you heard it said, but I tell you, he gets the end of it. He says, here's what I'm telling you. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. The reality is, He is, and I'm not. and My sin is worse than I pretend. But number two, Jesus is greater than I understand. Jesus is so much greater than I understand. Colossians chapter 1, and my pages that are falling out of my Bible here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, says the Son, that's Jesus, right, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. We talked about this months ago, so I'm not going to go into detail here. But, but, but firstborn is a, a rank, not, and this is not Jesus saying that in like eternity past he was born. Jesus has always existed. Scripture's clear on that. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then I'll give you one more verse, chapter 2, verse 9. We talked about this back in the spring as well for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness and there's far more there than I can give you a 10 second reminder of but bottom line he is saying Jesus is far more than we understand that Jesus has always existed, that he was the means of creation, that he is the focal point of creation, that it's all about him, that he is the necessary ingredient for togetherness, that he is the creator of the earth and the universe and everything physical, but he's also the creator of everything that isn't substantive and even of substance in the heavenly realms. That if we get Genesis right, then there was this an immediate resistance to the creator's reign over his re- creation to the king's reign over his kingdom. And he is and always was that king. Likewise, he came. He was born of a virgin. He is the re-creator of the church, bringing God's kingdom to earth. Only Jesus deserves to be the center of my life. That he is the only pathway to reconciliation. That he is God in the flesh, that he is the son of God, that he is the savior of sinners, that he's 100% God and he's 100% human, and all of that happens at the same time, and it's hard to understand. He is greater than I can comprehend with my mind. We've been playing this blending game for a long time. I could go through lots of ancient heresies and show you how people have tried to logically make this all make sense. But let me give you a couple from today. There is a group out there in fact, I got, I got a letter, a personal letter in the mail this week uh, from a person in this group. It was addressed to my name or current resident. It was handwritten. It is this long. You get, you get these letters too, don't you? Yeah. Right? It's from, from a Jehovah's Witness friend. I read the letter in its entirety. It sounded as Christian as you can get. But the clear teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses is that Jesus was not God, not Jehovah, and was created by Jehovah, that there was a time where Jesus was not, and then there's a time where Jesus was, and that Jehovah is the difference between Therefore, they are Jehovah's witnesses, not Jesus' witnesses. Now, they will try to convince you all day long that it's the same. And they'll even use a lot of the same language. But in using the same language, it's not the same. I've got other friends that come to, you know, the house periodically. Uh, I probably get Jehovah's Witnesses more than Mormons, but, but and I, I'm going to give both these groups credit. Here's what they are doing. They are so serious about their faith that they're trying to share it. Right? It's the same thing I think about the guy down on campus with the bullhorn. I completely disagree with his method. Yelling at students through a bullhorn is not going to convince them to follow Jesus. But I give him credit he's at least trying to share his faith. So my Mormon friends with their you know bikes and their name tags come by and they'll use all the same language, Trinity and Jesus. And but but let me give you an example from Mormon theology. Mormons will say not only would Jesus have a father, but that father. It would denote for you that if Jesus is God and Jesus has a father and that father is God, then fathers have fathers. Therefore, the father has a father. And that that father would have a father. And they would say that (laughs) gods are beings who were born and became gods. In fact, Mormons would tell us that you and I can do the same. That you and I can become gods as we follow God. That's not at all what the Bible says it is what they get from the book of mormon it's different <laughs> they'll likely uh, mormons who are serious about their understanding of mormonisms will tell you that elohim was created on another planet and married and had children and that elohim and mother earth i'm i'm not making this up. Elohim and mother earth had a spirit child and that spirit child was a boy named Jehovah that they then adopted as the Messiah and sent him to earth to be born as we know him, Jesus. Hmm. Like, this just doesn't blend. See how the blending doesn't work? When we try to take the... You say, well, are you judging Mormons or are you judging Jehovah's Witnesses? I just told you, I give them credit. Are you saying they're not good people? I'm saying none of us are good people. Because that's what the gospel says. Frankly, some Mormons are some of the friendliest people I know. But there's also a belief in Mormonism that i got to maintain this so I don't lose this. So number three, I'm just left with. then, If my sin is worse than I pretend and Jesus is greater and what Jesus has done is greater than I understand, then Jesus' grace, number three, is better than I can imagine. Let me, let me just go back to chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to pick up there. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. And he is the head over every power and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. And if you're lost at this point or feel like this is really deep, it is. We went like phrase by phrase through this back in the spring. Your whole self... Ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This is the first reference to since then you have been raised with Christ. It says here, since you were raised with him. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. This is what Chapter 3, verse 1 is referring back to, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, and He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them or over them, triumphing over them by the cross. The reality is grace is far better than I will ever imagine, that in this picture in chapter 1 and 2 of salvation, we have the picture of rescue, that I stood without God as a prisoner of war, and Jesus came to rescue me, to set me free, that we have in the gospel a picture of adoption, that I stood without God as a stranger on the outside, and that Through Jesus, God chose to adopt me as a child into his royal family. We have a picture of redemption, that I stood without God as a slave to sin, and he paid my ransom to set me free. Jesus did that. That I stood without God as a picture of forgiveness. With an impossible debt I could never repay, and he not only forgave my debt, he actually paid it for me. There's a picture here of reconciliation that I stood without God as an enemy of God. And through the work of Jesus, I am made a friend of God. And by the way, all these things God has done in my life, I deserve or have earned zero of them. Yeah, that means something else around here, doesn't it? <laughs> I have earned none of them. None of them. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We'll get into those next week. In fact, in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about how the gospel changes our thinking, how the gospel changes our self-talk, how the gospel changes the way we relate to ourselves and our identity, and then out of that, how the gospel changes all of the most important relationships of our lives. How how do I find my way out of an identity crisis? I'll tell you this. I can't leave my identity in Jesus back there in this someday. Jesus refused to be (laughs) sort of important, but not exactly important and not exactly urgent. Jesus deserves to be the very center of my life. So maybe today, maybe today, you and I would say, he gets to define who I am. We end our services with two prayers. First is a prayer of salvation. The second a prayer of application. After I pray these prayers, the worship team's going to come back in and we're going to sing again. But if you need Jesus today, would you pray with me right here, right now? Dear Jesus. My sin is worse than I pretend. And I don't deserve you. But you choose me. And you love me. So Jesus, forgive my sins. And take over my life. I put my faith in you. And I turn from my sin to you. And I ask you to be my God. To literally be the most dominant thing in my life. I believe you're alive today. So be God over all of my life. And change me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, you pray to follow Jesus for the first time today. Man, I'd love to know that. I'd love to welcome you to the family. I'd love to celebrate that. I'd love to come alongside you. But I, you got to tell somebody for us to be able to do that. So you can tell me on a communication card and the link's on YouTube and Facebook. You can uh, tell somebody here in the room. You can tell me after service. You can even email me. on am Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at com. Do you notice, like, you guys could mouth that word for word at this point? That's because I say that every single Sunday, because it matters, It matters like I would jump for joy when one of those emails shows up that says hey I that prayer you prayed in the service I prayed for that jump for joy just tell somebody so we can celebrate with you and come alongside you and be the family with you some of you prayed that prayer a long time ago maybe today you would say you know what I'm in for the Jesus life like I'm in for all the things Right? You can, there's a lot of stuff here on the card you can say you're in for. But more than anything, what I want you to be in for is the daily sense of every day I will preach the gospel to myself and to others. So would you pray this prayer of application with me, dear Jesus? Thank you that the good news is so good. Help me to remember every day the goodness of the gospel. And help me to treat others like they matter to Jesus too. Remind me that I am who you say I am. that everyone else I meet they are who you say they are. Jesus help us to live like it in love and grace. In your name we pray.